Welcome to the LarryInFishers.com podcast. I'm Larry Lannon. This is a chance for local people or people with a local connection to sit down and talk about what is going on with them in the Fishers community. This is a part of my local Fishers Indiana News blog that began in January of 2012. I started these podcasts in 2016 and have been going ever since. Now, here's the latest edition of the LarryInFishers.com podcast. My name's Larry Lannon, and we're working on doing podcasts with candidates for the Hamilton Southeastern School Board. We're uh, having, uh, as our guest today, Jackie Howell. She's a candidate for the HSE School Board in District 1. Just so you all know, all voters only vote for a candidate running in the district where that voter, in fact, does reside. So joining me in the questioning today will be Kate Lancer, a student at the HSC High School. And also uh, joining us today will be Casey Alexander. Kate is a senior. Casey Alexander is a junior at Fishers High School. Welcome all. Glad to have you all with us today. Uh, so I'm going to start off with Jackie Hal with a couple of questions. First of all, Ms. Hal, just spend a... A minute or two, uh, just saying something about yourself. Uh, people probably don't know much about you. Now you're running for public office. Uh, spend a minute or two talking about yourself. Sure. My husband and I moved to the district about 15 years ago for no surprise for the public schools. We didn't have children at the time, and um, we now have a 13-year-old and an 11-year-old who are both at um, our Fishers Junior High and Sand Creek Intermediate we knew early on this is where we wanted to be because of the academic district. And I think my son was in preschool when I was here, and I heard that um, there was a referendum going on. And a PAC came in to talk to us, and it was then that I realized I need to know what's going on in this district. I need to be involved. And it was at that time where I started watching what was going on in the schools. So that's been something on my radar, um, I think, before my kids were even in school. And I also um, am very involved in the community. I have worked as a mental health counselor about 15 years here, uh, which also includes working in the district at two of the elementary schools as a school-based therapist. So that also ties into my interest in um, the schools. I also am involved in some other, um, my son plays in a soccer league in the community, my daughter's um, involved in a gymnastics gym, and so Fishers has been our home now um, for a long time, and we don't see us going anywhere. Well, being a school board candidate uh, is something, but being a school board member could be a very demanding job. That's the job uh, for which you are a candidate. Uh, what persuaded you to become a candidate for the board? When elections were approaching, I thought about what I wanted in a candidate. When I think of school board, you're thinking of a representative of the community, someone who is going to listen to the needs of the stakeholders. And I wanted to be that person running. That means listening to our students. That means listening to the teachers. And that also means the parents. So when there's um, policy up for revision or procedure that's going to be passed, being that person that can listen, but then also look at the data that's out there and make the best decision for our stakeholders. And that includes 
all of them. So all students. Um, and I want to be that voice. I'm going to turn our questioning over to our students, and I'll start with Kate Lancer. So what is your main goal running for school board? I think expanding on what I just said, being the voice for everyone. And when I think about the school board, our biggest stakeholder is our students. And so part of my background as a mental health therapist is looking at every student. There's probably, we're a very large district, you know, over 21,000 students. Who is up there representing the students that are from populations of special needs or um, students who, for example, I've worked extensively with students aging out of foster care? Who is thinking about them? So I want to be that voice that is all-encompassing for our stakeholders. So um, you mentioned being uh, encompassing of stakeholders, and uh, a, lot, a big point of topic in this school board election is transparency to parents. Uh, how would you improve school, uh, school board's trans- or the school board's transparency to parents? Absolutely. I think that's a huge concern. And I've started that with my campaign right now. I am hosting driveway parties where I am accessible um, for any member of the community. Anyone is invited. Um, my... Email is always open. I have had many coffee sit-downs with parents because they're concerned and they want someone up there that is advocating for their students, for themselves. Um, I think the best way to start is by having um, email conversation with individuals. I know there's been times in the past where I've emailed school board uh, members because there's been something that's up for revision, whether it be the calendar, something that affects me personally. And knowing that I have that open door type policy and I'm going to listen to parents, because really, I I do think students do reach out. I think our older students are... um, a great voice for themselves. And I think they, um, you know, we see them showing up at school board meetings. So it's also listening to them, especially if it's, it's something that's going to affect them in the way of it's, you know, whether it may be speaking to a special interest group that needs heard. Um, So I think all of those things are what I would do because we need to hear the voices before it, this isn't about me and my decisions. It's about the community. And what is the biggest improvement that you believe we need to make as a whole in HSC? I think it's education. I think we have a large district. um, And through my campaigning, I think the biggest thing I've heard is I don't even know who's on the school board. So education, what is the school board doing Uh, What is the school board not doing? What are things that need to be addressed with maybe um, admin of a building or maybe need to be addressed with individual teachers? Uh, Going back to that transparency, one thing that I have found campaigning, because I want to make sure that I have all the appropriate data when I'm representing, so I'm sitting down with actual employees of the school and they have had open-door policies with me. They have opened up... um, you know, whether it be curriculum or policy that they've had. And knowing that parents have the power to do that, I think, is huge. There are no secrets being kept. Um, And so number one is education. Um, And that goes to some other things that are going to come up that I'll probably expand on, on on some bigger things. But ways to educate our community so that something happens and, oh, I wasn't told or I didn't know – All of this is out there. Um, It's just us sharing that message, I think. 
So um, in 2020, I ran these interviews with my sister, um, and during 2020, it was obviously like very. High, it was a very like um, controversial time in terms of the pandemic. Um, but now that we're moving past that period of time, what would you say um, your plan would be? Well, I, I think we have to discuss the referendum. That is probably the biggest thing that myself coming in as a board member would be dealing with. We have a lot to lose as a community if we're not educating on the referendum. Um, so let me back up because it's not it's not the board voting on this. It is the community. So if the referendum goes up for a vote and does not pass, we jeopardize our students. We jeopardize losing probably funding for a whole building of staff. We jeopardize, um, you know, the referendum gave us our vice principals. And working in the schools, I've seen how vital they are to take things off of our principal's plate, to take things off the um, counselor's plate. We can't afford that. Um, some other programs that it's brought to our students and educating the community on I think if we break it down for the average home, it was about 45 cents a day is what we're paying. So I keep hearing, well, I'm not voting for the referendum. I'm not voting for taxes. Nobody wants their taxes to increase. But this is something that's in place already. We need it to continue. Um, I see that as the number one thing we're going to deal with going into January of next year. So you mentioned being a mental health counselor. Uh, what do you want to do to continue to get rid of the stigma of mental health in our school system? Oh, I think that's a great question. I have sat down with Brooke Lawson, who is our mental health coordinator. Um, the program's changed a little bit since I was there, and now every school has a mental health provider in it, which I think is um, just a great first-line prevention that we have. Uh, some grants have allowed the uh, schools to even bring in social workers at the junior high level. And I can tell you that the turnaround in students being able to meet with a, with a social worker, we're talking about a week. In the community, people are waiting three months, six months to see any provider. The fact that we can turn around and do that with no cost to the family and with no hardship of the family to have to pull their students out um, is wonderful. And so I think that brings the partnership in. And just in talking with families who are receiving those services, it's, oh, well, there's been a little bit anxiety about testing. So we were able to do this, just normalizing that. I think if you listen to school board meetings, you know, Brooke was just honored for the work that she's done. Our mayor um, in the community is talking about mental health and stigma. So it goes back to that education. It goes back to looking and sharing the data of what this has been able to do for our students. And that's power that you can ask for help. We can have teachers identify early on and get the students the help they need in a partnership that... Um, this is just part of taking care of yourself as a whole person, and I would love to see us expand on that. Right. So uh, you mentioned expanding on that. Um, could you expand on that, and how would you if you were to? Sure. So I think um, kind of looking at it in a more macro level in terms of safety for every student, comfort in the classroom, there are some programs nationally that I know that um, our district has started to train teachers on, started to train admin, and then bringing that into their schools. So for early identification um, and prevention, 
I think for each student to feel safe sitting in the classroom, and safe means something different to each student because we're all coming from different backgrounds. So if we have that training in place, that's going to bring identification. Um, so getting all of our staff trained on mental health and then um, using what funding we have to continue to um, provide the social workers in the school as a frontline prevention uh, would be wonderful. I, I mean, I could go on and on about how the continuum of care we have for students um, is so great, but I think if we can reach them before they need the serious care, then everyone's going to be in a better place. So at HSC, we have mental health rooms where you can go if you um, feel yourself anxious or stressed out. However, they are kind of hard to access. I know people who have been denied because they didn't have a pass or a counselor's signature. Is there a way that you can make them easier to access or a better idea? First of all, I think that is a great idea. Um, I worked on a Lilly Grant before that was regarding student mental health, um, anxiety, and depression, and looking at the increase. And that was a couple years ago. So, I mean, we're talking about you know, we've, we've dealt with a lot as a society that's even increased that more. So I think that's something that um, our mental health coordinator and our administrators would need to work together. Certainly as a board member, that's something that could be brought up. But I think we all know that if we're not in the right headspace, it's very difficult to learn. And as a therapist, those types of things, anxiety and depression, are incredibly treatable, wonderful outcomes. And something like taking time to um, do some deep breathing, meditating, um, can be a quick fix. And so I think those are wonderful. I know that many corporations have things like that. I work for a large corporation, and we have um, a huge focus on mental health. So if if we're looking at providing that to our students and that's what they need at the moment, I think that's certainly something that we can um, talk with admin on uh, a better, better policy for students to be able to access something like that. So on your website, you say that HSC is a very high-ranking school system nationwide. Uh, how would you plan on making that even more highly ranked? Okay, so... You know, that's something that people are very concerned about, the data of where we rank. And I, I think it is absolutely something we need to be conscious of. It's one of the current board's um, goals, and it would be one of mine as well. That starts from our educators. We need to keep the wonderful educators that we have. And I say that not lightly because I've watched my children now for nine years in the district have teachers that still impact them to this day. We need to retain those individuals. We need to continue to hire individuals um, that are going to teach to that high level. So nationwide, we have a teacher shortage. Indiana has a teacher shortage. That's something that needs to be looked at in terms of recruitment. Why are people staying at a district? Why are people leaving? You know, I've looked at nationwide what the data says, and it's typically support. So... Teachers are our stakeholders as a board member. Are they feeling supported? What do they need? We need to be talking to them and treating them, because many of them don't get to vote in this election. Not all of them live in the district. So I think it starts with the frontline people who are the ones educating our students, um, because if we don't have a fully staffed district, how can we educate our students? 
Yeah, and going off of that and staffing, what do you look for when you want to place a teacher or counselor? Because I know for a great period of time, I didn't have a counselor this year because my counselor moved on to a better opportunity. So how do you fix that? Because it was my senior year and I was trying to schedule and it was just really hard because I didn't have a counselor. That is incredibly difficult. What we need to do as a district is looking at, um, you know, if we have early retirements coming up, if we have retirements coming advertising those openings early. Um, You know, and this is something that I think is human resources. I'm sure they're always trying to do that. But um, that's something that early on, because hiring someone, if they're going to be moving across the country, if they're, you know, it's not something that they can just go and find someone. Um, And then um, recruiting in areas, areas where, um, you know, whether it be people coming out of universities, people um, that are part of certain groups so that we can find and target the individuals that we need. Um, And I know that our HR does that, whether it be going to career fairs, college fairs, um, and trying to find, you know, all school districts are are struggling with this, but it's very important that that person is there for you as you're making those huge life decisions that are going to impact you. And I mean, just stability, even if we think about um, even our kindergarten students, they need stability from day to day. And our teachers, um, you know, through this election, I've talked with many of them and I cannot imagine having their plates more full and not having that prep time that they need to then have to run over to another classroom to fill in for a sub. Um, So in the interim, if we can utilize substitutes, um, that's another thing our district needs to work on, not just ours. It's all, uh, but really valuing and getting a good sub pool so we can um, deal with those interim shortages. Uh, so speaking of that sub pool, um, how would you um, find qualified subs? Like, how would you suggest finding that? Well, I've talked with a lot of parents about subs. Um, district uh, time changes gave, you know, elementary school is now starting quite early and that and then ending early. And so people who have elementary students have said, you know, this is this is difficult for me. Um, and in speaking with teachers, she said, we can use you half a day. Well, teach- parents didn't know that. So we've got to educate our community on roles they can fill as a substitute that are still available to them. We need to tap into whether it be our college students that um, can obtain a sub-license. I subbed when I was a graduate student. Um, and actually, even back when I was in grad school, the district I was in, the pay was really good. And so, um, and it was a great job and great experience. So tapping into what we have into the community um, and probably doing maybe more of a sub-type recruitment because what our teachers are dealing with is not sustainable and I can't imagine them being stretched more thin than they already are. Yeah, so what are your thoughts on the time change? Because I do know a lot of elementary school parents did struggle with the, there's no one for my kid after school because high schoolers can't come and nanny or get them off the bus anymore. Sure, I think that that was a switch for um, all families. uh, And quite a few districts nationwide have made that change. I believe that the change was made primarily on the data that we have available and what was best for each student based on um, 
their brain's needs and their learning needs. And I, I hope that it's been a positive change for both of you as high school students and having a teenager and preteen myself, I do understand where that um, sleep and brain function comes in. Unfortunately, there's never going to be a one-size-fits-all for every family in our community. So I think when we look at the after school, that's when we need to look at, is our district partnering to provide appropriate after-school programs for families? There's been a lot of frustration with there being limited availability on um, after-school programs. So maybe that's another place where we can look at partnerships to, because families work in our community. And if a student's getting out at 2.30, they're probably going to need a couple hours after school of supervision. Right. So uh, again, connecting back to that time change, um, back when that was going around, um, the school board met with a group of students. Um, How would you um, include the students' voices? Because a lot, okay. I'm going to restart this one, but um, a lot of or a lot of the students can't vote in this election, um, and as you said, we are stakeholders in this operation. But without voting, uh, how would you make our voices heard? Sure. So I think that comes down to um, if, if we're talking about you know probably there we're looking at junior high and high school students who are going to be affected. Doing some roundtables or special interest groups, having. Um, whether it be student-led organizations, invite people, having teachers or admin identify students who would be a good voice so that you could speak for yourself. And then when I go to vote, taking into account what I've heard from the students, because you're absolutely right. Um, The students who can vote aren't going to be there much longer in the school. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think it would be a good idea for school board members such as yourself to actually go into the school and see what day-to-day operations are like? Maybe talk to a couple students and teachers? Oh, I think that's imperative. Um, I, I didn't share this in the beginning, but I have been involved in the school since my son was in kindergarten. The day that that sign-up came out that said, can you come in and help read with our students? So whether it was you know an hour, an hour a week that I would come in, pull out students, and sit and read with them. I have so much respect for teachers. Even sometimes I would take home uh, little papers and cut them because the teachers don't have time for that type of thing. And if I can give a couple hours of my time a week to make their job a little bit easier, teachers never stop working. And I say that because I have friends who are teachers and they never stop. They don't stop over the summer. They're constantly um, planning and then uh, whether it be grading, it. It's, it's a nonstop job, and their brains don't turn off either. So I then um, spent a full year doing a volunteer, um, reoccurring volunteer spot in one of our libraries. That was probably my favorite time because I got to see students in their element. I got to hear what was going on in the schools. And things are happening with our students that you wouldn't know as just a community member. So you need to be there. You need to see what our teachers are dealing with. Um, And then also working in the schools and working in collaboration with our teachers and our admin. And then, you know, there are things that we know as needs of our students that I know having worked in the schools or having volunteered that just I think the general community member doesn't realize. One more question each region. All right. Um, so 
this is kind of on a different topic, um, but during 10 years as a school board member, how would you respond if individual children in the school districts were targeted, insulted, or berated by a fellow school board member using their official school board media page for expressing an opinion that differs from the adult in office? Okay, well, I, I have to go with my background here. As a mental health therapist, I um, hold a license, and and I don't take that lightly that I am bound by ethics not to discriminate against anything. I'm sure that things are going to come up as a school board member that I may not personally agree with, but my role is is to... Um, first of all, we need to look at, is anything the students, are they, anything they're doing illegal? No. If it's a differing of opinion, then we need to respect that. Our students have a voice. Our students are being educated to go out and understand that they have a voice. And I think our teachers are empowering them to use that. And that, to me, is incredible. That teaches free thinking. That teaches critical thinking. And isn't that what we want of our students? Um, I think if that were the situation, if something like that were to happen as a community member and I saw it, I would probably express my displeasure to the board as a whole um, via email, probably to um, the um, whether it be the the admin um, and then whether it be if it was from a student led organization, um, because our students have that right and we need to allow that. And when you talk about your stakeholders, you have your students, your parents, and your teachers. As a school board member, which group do you think is most important? I think both of you highlighted this. It's got to be our students because they don't have a vote. When their parents go to the polls, they certainly do. But what about the students that can't speak up for themselves? What about... um, I kind of see it as a tier. Number one, our students. That's why we're here. We're here to educate them. Number two, our teachers, because they are the ones educating. And then number three, our community. You know, it it isn't just about the people that are, um, it isn't just about the families being educated. We have many community members who don't have students, whether they don't have kids or their um, kids have moved on. But a good school is also a good community. And it's a good um you know, when we're looking at real estate and a great place to live and a safe place to live. So that's kind of how I see it as a tiered. um, All are important, but number one is our students and their academics. Ms. Howell, uh, one of the most important duties for any school board under state law is to evaluate the superintendent. Based on what you have gleaned so far in your campaign, how would you evaluate the job performance of our current superintendent, Yvonne Stokes? Well, I was personally excited when I saw Dr. Stokes as our um, new superintendent. She came as the assistant superintendent from my alma mater of Munster High School, so that was very exciting. And in my time seeing her work and then speaking with her personally, I love the approach that she has taken. She has just kind of this open door. She's meeting with community members. Um, You know, she is very data-driven and coming in and looking at what we need to succeed. Uh, I was at the recent board meeting this week and we're talking at profiles of a graduate and it doesn't seem 
what I think is great about her is she is not doing anything in a hasty manner. She realizes implementation takes time um, and that we really actually need to get our community involved um, for to make some of these things happen. So I respect that. I respect um, the years of education and experience she brings to us. And I'm really excited to see her put those goals into action. Um, so I think she's doing a wonderful job. Uh, when you were asked about challenges, uh, you did immediately mention the referendum. Now, the current board is going to make the decisions on the referendum as to, number one, what will be the ask, will be the same or different in terms of the tax rate, and also uh, when the referendum will happen. Will it be in the May primary or the November general election next year or city elections in Fishers? So my question to you uh, uh, about this is, is – uh, even though you would not have a vote if elected, uh, do you believe that the tax rate sh- request to the public should be the same, or would you favor May or November to have the referendum? Sure. So initially, when I think of that, um, I think of voter turnout, and then I also think of length of time. Um, if something like a pack is putting to or put together to educate our community, I think the longer we can have, the better um, to do that education, and then also. Um, we're going to probably have a better turnout for voters in November and then that length of time to educate them on what that tax rate is for, what it's going to do for their community. So that would be my thought is to look at November. And as we conclude this podcast, I'll give you a chance to just make a brief comment a minute or two on whatever you'd like to talk about or whatever we all did not think to ask. Thank you so much for having me here today. It's wonderful to talk about um, why I am the choice for um, our District 1 school board. I think the combination of myself as a mental health professional um, and using, I'm very data-driven in my decisions, but then also um, a community member who is open door and speaking with individuals who is, you know, constantly still in the schools uh, makes me the person that um, would represent our community best. Jackie Howell is a candidate in District 1 for the Hamilton Southeastern School Board election this fall. Thank you, uh, Ms. Howell, and also uh, many thanks to Kate Lancer and Casey Alexander students at high schools uh, here in the Hamilton Southeastern District. Thanks for listening to the LarryInFishers.com podcast. If you like the podcast, please let others know. You can find it on most platforms where you go for podcasts. Just search using this phrase, Podcasts by Larry Lannan, L-A-N-N-A-N. Also, if you listen on a platform such as iTunes, please take a moment, rate, and comment on my podcast series. So thanks for listening, and please be safe and be kind. Mm -hmm.